you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. All right, all right. Big thanks to Chris Hemsworth for the uh, Bible reading video. (laughs) Generous guy to give his time in that way. So good to see you guys this morning. Uh, As we continue in this series, uh, The Vine, The Trellis, and The Crow. And as Emily uh, shared today, uh, we're focusing on building a rule of life. Uh, And I thought to probably set the stage, it'd be helpful to share the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. By show of hands, who knows Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right? Now, for a lot of people, they know him as the Christian guy who plotted the assassination of Adolf Hitler. Uh, And yet, of course, his story is is so much richer. There's so much more to his his life. He was born in Germany in 1905, one of eight children, and from a young age was uh, passionate about reading the Bible. Uh, In fact, it's said that when he was just 14 years of age, he announced to his big family over the dinner table that he wanted to be a theologian. And he pursues this. He goes to Berlin University. Uh, he receives his doctorate of, in theology when he's just 21 years of age. Uh, he then goes to Spain and he serves in ministry there as an associate minister. Then he moves to New York. And in New York, he becomes best mates uh, with an African-American man named Franklin Fisher. And Franklin Fisher uh, invites him to his church in Harlem. And so there's Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this studious German theologian, uh, in this church in, in Harlem, and he experiences for the first time fiery, passionate preaching. And he sees a community of faith who aren't going through the motions but are alive uh, in their love for Jesus. And this impacts Bonhoeffer in a deep and transformative way, so much so that when he returns back to Germany, uh, he's a changed man. But of course, Bonhoeffer is not the only one who has changed. Germany has changed as well. When Bonhoeffer had left Germany, uh, the Nazi party was somewhat small and insignificant. No one really knew about them. But when he came back, they were one of the largest, most dominant voices. 
in Germany. And this spelled trouble. Uh, this was a time of intense uncertainty and pressure, and not just for the German people, but for the Christian church. Uh, Hitler's men pressured and bullied churches. Uh, they excluded uh, Jewish Christians from attending church gatherings. They ripped out parts of the Bible on the claims that they were too Jewish. They even had some people use the pulpit to proclaim that uh, Hitler was Germany's Messiah. And so Bonhoeffer and a faithful few said no. And they made a stand. In fact, Bonhoeffer went public recording his uh, uh, displeasure uh, towards Hitler's agenda. And in addition to that, he forms this underground seminary in a rural town of Finkenwalder. His vision, build a community of radical discipleship. How are we going to push back the darkness? With a community of radical discipleship. They're prepared to take their obedience of Jesus seriously. 67 students came together. Building a rule of life that was marked by the sacred rhythms of prayer, confession, hard work, uh, devotion to scripture. Many looking on at the underground seminary thought they were too intense, too much spiritualization, too extreme. In fact, in uh, Marsha's biography uh, on Bonhoeffer, he tells this story of one of um, Bonhoeffer's friends, a guy named uh, William uh, Niesel. Uh, and he thought his life at Finkenwalder was too extreme. And so uh, Niesel pays Bonhoeffer a visit to share his concerns. And what does Bonhoeffer do? Bonhoeffer takes his friend into a small rowing boat. They go across the river they journey up to an elevated clearing where they can look down upon one of Hitler's airfields. And there with planes coming in and taking off and men scurrying around, he looks at the intensity of their discipline. And he points out that this is a discipleship of cruelty. And then he says something that his friend would never forget. He says, what we're doing at the seminary has to be stronger than what Hitler's doing in forming his army. We have to raise up a generation of Christians whose formation is stronger than that of the Third Reich. This has to be more powerful than that. Today, we are at part two in our series, The Vine, The Trellis, and the crow. It's a seven-week journey for people committed to building lives of faith and courage that will not only shine, but stand up against the forces of evil that pull people away from Christ. We want to be a community city on a hill where our love is stronger than the hate, where truth is stronger than deception where courage and conviction is stronger than compromise, 
where our faith in Jesus is stronger than fear. Last Sunday, we looked at John 15 and this uh, beautiful image that Jesus paints for his disciples of of a vineyard. I am a vine, you are the branches. And we discovered in this that God has made you to flourish in Jesus. God made you to bear fruit that would last. And we hear this echoed in today's reading. In contrast to the kingdom of darkness, which comes to kill, steal, and destroy, Jesus comes that you would have life and have it abundantly. But we also discover that this life and growth in Jesus doesn't happen by accident. Just as a vine needs a trellis to support its structure and to help it grow, so we, the church need to put in place structure, sacred rhythms, spiritual disciplines to help our life and faith in Jesus grow. Now in the coming weeks, we're going to look closely at the practices and rhythms in the life of Jesus. Today, as M pointed out, we're going to We're going to look at what it actually means to build a rule of life. Building a rule of life. Now, this sermon today kind of comes in two parts, three if you include the Q&A. But part one, we're going to look at rules and the Christian life. Rules and the Christian life. I think it's fair to say that most Australians have a love-hate relationship with rules. And by that I mean we love to hate them. Um... And it's true, isn't it, that a lot of rules that we come up against can be unnecessary. Uh, but it is worthwhile, just for a moment, considering their, their point, why they actually exist. I remember playing, um, well, when I was in year 10, playing uh, football for you know, like periods three and four in PE class. And uh, I never forget... Uh, with five minutes left on the game, my PE teacher used to yell out at the top of his voice, no rules. Do you know what happens when a group of year 10 students who are playing football hear no rules? Mayhem. Right? Absolute mayhem. Guys are punching on left, right and center. They're being tackled into the ground. Like, it's chaos. Right? It's absolute chaos. Um, why do we have rules? To bring order. To bring order. Interestingly, the word rule comes from the Latin word regular, which means straight piece of wood. It is, if you like, the trellis that lifts the vine from the dirt in the ground, holds it up, and actually gives it room to grow. It's not restrictive. It's helping it grow. And so whenever a Christian talks about a rule of life, they're not talking about a spiritual straitjacket. They're trying to help you consider the various rhythms, the practices, the habits to help you build a life that's deeply grounded in Jesus and helping you grow. Uh, Schizero, who's got a great book on uh, emotional health uh, in, in Christianity, he says this, a rule of life is an intentional conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. 
right? Intentional. It's a conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. The starting point and foundation of any rule is a desire to be with God and to love him. So there's a plan, it's conscious, it's laid out. And what's the goal? To keep God at the center. So do we need a rule of life? I'm convinced we do. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, as Carson said in our little, uh, that was a you know, quote from Carson there, we, uh, we don't drift towards holiness without grace-inspired effort and practice. We drift towards compromise. And I think it's fair to say that we're living in a time in history where many Christians, particularly in the West, are addicted to comfort, are addicted to ease. Many people are tragically just sleepwalking through their faith, dipping in and out of Christianity as it suits them, as it's convenient for them. They rarely go deep into God's word. Uh, They rarely practice constant communion with God in prayer. They, They rarely serve. They rarely give. In the words of C.S. Lewis, we're fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we're far too easily pleased. But I suspect you are here today because you want to grow. You are here because you want to challenge yourself and take hold of the life that Jesus came to give you. And let me just say that is a great place to be. Because when you read the Bible, you're going to discover that God not only creates and gives us life, but has given us rules and rhythms to help us enjoy God and make the most of this life that he has given. So take, for example, the Ten Commandments. Right? What are the Ten Commandments? You shall not lie on your tax return. You shall not covet your neighbor's holiday. You shall not be a slave to your job, but take a day to rest in the Lord. And above all else, you shall not worship any other God. Why, why, does God give, why did God give those rules to Israel? Was it to stifle their freedom? Was it to ruin their fun? No, we worship a good and loving God who wants to bless us. The Ten Commandments are a means of grace that he gives to Israel to help them enjoy life with and for God. And this is where Jesus stands as good news of great joy for us all because when Jesus steps onto the stage of human history... He says, I did not come to abandon the law, but what? Fulfill it. Right? Jesus did what you and I could not do. He showed the world life as life was always intended to be lived. And please get this. His life comes with an invitation. Jesus came not only to show you the way of the kingdom but to invite you into the way of the kingdom. Do you know what he said 
to people like you and me who are searching for meaning, searching for significance, searching for purpose. Come, follow me. Peter, Mary, John, come, follow me. When Jesus says, come, follow me, he's not just looking for a few friends to hang out with. He's not looking to boost his platform or have them stroke his ego. When Jesus says, come, follow me, it's a call to radical discipleship. When Jesus says, come, follow me, it's a call to to pursue a deep and dynamic relationship with God that is now characterized by a new way of life. A new way of prayer, a new way of service, a new way of courage and strength, a new way of dependence and surrender before our heavenly Father. Does following Christ come easy? No. Many started out with passion and many, many gave up because it was hard. But this is where a rule of life is so freeing and so helpful. Because a rule of life is a set of resolutions and rhythms and practices to help you keep Jesus at the center. In a world of many distractions, in a world of many trials and many temptations, a rule of life is a gift, a means of God's grace to help you keep Jesus at the center. And this leads to point two. We're going to get it really practical now and talk about how we actually build a rule of life. It's worth saying that uh, what is in one person's rule of life is going to look different to the person sitting next to you. We'll unpack that Uh, in a little bit. But in order to provide you a little bit of clarity of what I'm actually talking about, I thought it might be helpful for me to just share or give you like a little look at my own rule of life. Right? I'm not going to share everything, just a few highlight pieces, but I thought it might be helpful for you to at least see what I'm talking about. Would that be helpful? Right? So um, I've broken my own rule of life into three areas. The heart, the home, and the house, okay? So the heart refers to my own personal walk with Jesus, right? First and foremost, I'm a son of the living God, and I want to develop rhythms and practices that help remind me of that and help me live that out. Second of all, uh, I'm married. Uh, I've got four children, and the Bible says that as the husband and the father, I have to... uh, take primary responsibility as the spiritual head in my home. And so I want to help lift the spiritual temperature. And also God has called me to be a pastor. And so in the house of God, I want to be thinking uh, prayerfully and biblically about how I can help us all grow in Christ. So they're the three categories. And under each of those categories, I have a series of um, resolutions. Don't think New Year's resolutions Think lifelong Jonathan Edwards type resolutions. And I have resolutions and a series of practices and rhythms that that can help that out. Is it a finished work? 
No, uh, it's a work in progress because guess what? I'm a work in progress. Uh, but these are little things to help keep Jesus at the center. We might bring up a few. For example, this is to do with my heart walking with Jesus. I resolve, uh, I resolve to live on my knees in joyful dependence upon the Lord. Right? I don't want to do life in my own strength. I don't want to get to my life at the end of my life and look back and say, oh, I did it my way. I want to do it God's way. I want to live in dependence upon God because I know he's good and I know his word is good for me. So what are the practices underneath that to help me on that journey? Here's a couple. I pray the Lord's Prayer each morning. I pray the examine each evening. We'll look at that in more detail next week. And I want to be praying with a friend once a month. These are some of the practices that I'm putting in place to help tether my heart to the Lord. Here's another. Uh, I resolve to live a generous, bold, and compassionate life. So I'm committing here to giving of tithes and offerings to church weekly. I'm committed to supporting causes of faith, right? So my wife and I, we support compassion and sponsor children. I'm committed to sharing my faith with an unbeliever, and I want to surprise someone with an act of kindness monthly. Of course, you can do more. But this is a reminder of the kind of person, the kind of characteristics that God is calling me to be. And listen, because we're embodied beings, my rule doesn't just include uh, what we might call spiritual disciplines, but other aspects of my life that he cares about and we should too. For example, I resolve to care for the temple of the Holy Spirit, that being my body. So... I resolve to run twice a week, swim once a week, ride twice a week, weights two times a week, eat a slow carb six days a week, and feast, favorite day of the week, once, once a week. Right? So I've realized that my spiritual uh, walk with Jesus is stronger, more focused, more buoyant when I'm caring for my health and my body. So I'm going to care for my health and my body, right? Right? Uh, Another one, I'm, I'm eager to live a more present life. And so in the words of Dallas Willard, uh, I resolve to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. This is a challenging one for me because I like to move fast. So I'm resolving to have a day of Sabbath rest. There's been seasons in my life where I've just blasted through every day of the week. It's not honoring God, not good for me. Uh, Three-week vacation, uh, prayer and fasting retreat, once a week, uh, once a year. Well, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I mean, I'm a pastor. I probably could get away with that, but that's, uh, that'd be awesome. Uh, slow walk in nature weekly, like a lot of studies that show that if you're out in nature, it lifts you. Uh, I find that it lifts me towards God, praising him for creation. So I want to be out there. I want to sleep at least seven, not at least seven to eight hours uh, daily. And I want to remove my phone from my bedroom. Right. So these are just some examples that I'm seeking to practice and put in my life to fuel my passion for Jesus. And if we had time, I'd talk about some of the things that we do for the home and then some of the things I'm seeking to do for the church. Is it complete? No. Are there times I forget or avoid? Yes. But has it been a means of grace that God has given me uh, to help me grow in my faith, to enjoy Jesus more? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the goal of this series is to help you build your own. 
right? This is one of those series, and I hope this is true of all of our teaching here, where it's not just listening to a bunch of talks, but you actually go, okay, I'm going to carve out some time today or this week and begin to build my own rule of life. And as Em pointed out, man, there are some phenomenal resources to help you. Uh, there's a guide there on how to book, uh, build a rule of life. And then you just go through it step by step. It's going to take a bit of work. It's going to take a bit of time. But I, the fruit you'll see, all right, don't just hear these things, build these things. Uh, now, after the message, I'm, gonna, uh, I'm eager to hear your questions. Uh, and so please send those in. And please talk this through in community. You're in a gospel community. Talk this through. You know, hey, M, what's been encouraging in your rule of life? Rowan, what's been helpful in your rule of life, right? Talk this stuff through. Ask one another. We're here to do this together. But before we jump to questions, here are just um, a few principles that I really want you to keep in mind as you do this. Number one, a rule of life should center on the way of Jesus. A rule of life should center on the way of Jesus. So, it can be really tempting when it comes to your life um, to find your cues based on people around you. And there's some wisdom in that. I'm sure throughout your life you can think of people who've been influential in your discipleship. It could be a parent, it could be a school teacher, it could be a youth minister, right? We, 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 it could be a bonhop. Like we, there are all kinds of people around us that we can look to to get advice and, and, and wisdom. And, that, and that's fine and that, that's good. But what I would say is that when it comes to the fullest expression of life, keep your eyes on Jesus. Take time to dwell in the Gospels of Jesus. Not to skate through the gospel, but to dwell in the gospels of Jesus. And take note of, of, of the life that Jesus lived and what he was calling his disciples to follow. So, for example, one of the things you'll notice in the life of Jesus is that, man, he pours himself out for others. He's always sacrificing his own time and his own energy to serve other people, to, to heal someone, to listen to someone, to to welcome someone, to eat with people, to pray with people. He's just like, man, this guy just pours himself out. And yet, what else do you notice in Jesus? Ever so often, he is withdrawing from the crowds to pray and go to his heavenly father. Right? When it comes to your discipleship, we are to be men and women who follow Jesus, And we'll look more closely at these practices next week. Second, so that was the first point. Second, a rule of life has to be personal, but not internally focused. So we need to build a personal rule of life because we're all traveling through different seasons. Isn't that right? Like some of us here got a lot of free time to experiment. Others are just being smashed by the pressures and, and challenges of maybe a busy job or uh, intensity at home. Right? Uh, some of you would know, like for me personally, um, the last kind of six months to a year, you know, things kind of ramped up in terms of my mum's health with dementia. And so the, the uh, amount of... Um, time and emotional energy from my wife and myself in trying to care for her. At one point, I was getting 22 phone calls a day from her just because she needed 
help and didn't know how to do this and, and, and do that. And now that doesn't mean you throw out the rule of life. In many ways, it's the rule of life was an anchor for my soul. But the point here is that, that you need to tailor it to the particular season that you are in. So let me say, if you're caring for someone who is in need, if you're a mother raising young kids, uh, if you're struggling through an issue of health or just getting smashed by a demanding job, take time to factor in those relationships and those responsibilities into your rule of life. That doesn't mean you ignore the trellis. It just needs to be tailored to who you are and what season you are in. The other reason it's vital we approach this personally is because we are all at different stages on our spiritual journey. Right? Some of you here, you've been following Jesus for a long time and you can see lots of growth, lots of fruit. Praise God for that. Others here are just starting out, just trying to work out what's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? They're just beginning. And so I think it's helpful to think in this of the difference perhaps, you know, with two people going to the gym. You have two people going to the same gym. One is a pro bodybuilder. The other, it's their first time. The pro bodybuilder, I don't know, what are they doing? 900 pound deadlifts, eating three whole chickens for breakfast, <laughs> right? Little Johnny, if you, give, <laughs> if you give little Johnny that kind of program, that diet, it's going to crush him. In the same Way we who are seeking to follow Jesus need to recognize where we are and take our first step toward Him. We've all got Jesus as our vision, praise God, but we need to think about what's our best next step. So you might be here and you say, you know, God, I've never, I, I don't read the Bible, right? You know, at City on a Hill, it's okay to say that out loud. Hey, I don't read the Bible. Okay, great. I appreciate your honesty. What do you want to do about that? You want to take a step forward? Yeah, I want to take a step forward. Here's an idea. Read one verse a day. Hey, guy, um, I'll be honest. I don't give. Right? I don't give. Right? I, I, I know countless studies out there say the happiest people in the world are those who are generous. I know Jesus says blessed is those who are give, and yet I don't give. Okay. Thanks for your... What are you going to do about that? Right? Ideally, man, Christians are given like... 10% plus to fuel gospel ministry. Maybe for you, there's a resolve today to say, you know what, I'll start with one, 2%. Right? Start where you are and take steps forward. And here's the key. You've got to start today. <laughs> Not tomorrow. Today. Um, I've heard it said there's two types of people in the world. Those who say one day, one day I'll start to give. One day I'm, I'm going to share my faith with that family member. One day I'm going to get up early and I'm going to pray. There's a lot of people who live by that mantra, one day. Then there are other people who say, day one. Today is day one where I'm going to take my life, take this discipleship seriously. I'm sick of coasting. I'm sick of just letting things happen. Today is day one. Be that kind of person. Third, consistency in a rule of life is key, but so is creativity and flexibility. 
Right? It's clear when you read the New Testament, uh, it's clear that there are many kind of big rocks that should go in our rule of life. For example, it's clear we're to study the scriptures. It's clear that we're to pray. It's clear that we are to pursue Christian community and and to give and to serve. Uh, It's clear if you're a parent that you are to raise your children in the Lord. It's clear that if you are married here today that you should pray, put in rhythms and practice to help pray with your spouse and to to pursue each other with love and, and intimacy, right? These are the big blocks that should be in our rule of life. But one thing I've personally found helpful is to remember that consistency should be coupled with creativity and flexibility. Why? Because we're all a little bit different. You know that about yourself? We're all a little bit different. Let's do a little social experiment. Who in this room, show of hands, would say they're more extroverted? Right? They get energized. Yep, hands up. You get energized by being around people. Right? A lot of hands. Who in this room would say they're more introverted? They enjoy just being with a book. Right? Look around, right? It's like a 50-50 split. Uh, Okay, Uh, who feels more alive? This should be a little bit weighted, this one. More alive in the morning? Okay, a lot of hands. Who feels more alive in the evening? A lot. What? You know we have an evening service. Uh, okay, what about holidays? Who likes um, visiting a new city and experiencing and exploring like art galleries and theater and things like that? Okay, a lot of hands there. Who'd rather escape the world and go up to a hill in nature somewhere? All right, helpful to know. All right, now what about your own faith? Who feels most alive in Jesus, whether engaging in, let's say, a, a deep Bible study or hearing a, an inspiring sermon? Who's Who feels alive in that? Okay, who feels most alive when they're with a group of people singing praise and heart-filled worship, right? Good to know, it's good to know. What's the point in that? It's to recognize that we're different and that difference is not something to hide behind or to use as an excuse, but to simply recognize, to simply recognize that we can and should be in tune with who we are and what is going to fuel our faith in Jesus, right? Some of you here are going to love reading your Bible by yourself with a good journal and a hot coffee, right? Others, they're going to get distracted by that and they might want to catch up with a mate after work over a pint and open the Bible. Some of us... um, might feel really close to Jesus when they're in a thriving city. Maybe it is going to that art gallery where they're able to think and be inspired by the creativity. Others, man, they feel close to Jesus when they climb that hill and they can just be by themselves in that way. Some of us like a very slow and steady rhythm to life. Others feel most alive in their faith when there's challenge, when there's movement, when there's hills to climb. Let me encourage you to reflect on who you are, how God has made you, and get creative. Have fun with this. And listen, that should not only inform the things in your life that you should be doing, but also the things that you should now stop doing. A rule of life, listen, should include things you want to start doing but also things that you know will require discipline to stop doing. And we could talk about a whole host of different things because we're all different. We'll have different idols, different temptations. 
But, but for example, consider the temptation that comes with us with the online world. For a lot of people, what I'm holding in my hand is the most disruptive thing to our faith right now. I know that a phone is incredibly efficient. I've got one in my back pocket for a reason. It allows me to accomplish a great deal. And yet at the same time, at the same time, this can be the number one enemy to our life, our relationships, and in fact, our faith with God. For some, it's going to be a temptation to look at pornography. For some, it's just the temptation to scroll other people's holiday reels and just to be falling into a sea of comparison and discontent. For some, it's the temptation to dive into that next online sale, to get that next purchase, to make you feel that next hit of adrenaline. For some, it's just a distraction. It's just a distraction. You know that you can be in a room with people you love and yet you're not there because you're a slave to notifications a slave to that next buzz. We're texting, but not talking. We're tweeting, but not thinking. We're scrolling, but not praying. John Piper once said this, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook, Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. Ouch. What does it mean? Get creative with your life. Think now. What can I do to dethrone? What can I do to dethrone the digital God? Now, I'm not saying take this and put it in a blender. Though some of you should. Though the desert fathers and mothers took their faith that seriously. But I'm not saying that you should put it in a blender. But maybe you could have a digital detox every now and again. Maybe you could resolve in your heart to not bring your phone to every dinner engagement. To not have your phone off when you enter the house of God. Unless there's a QR code to grab. (laughs) Listen, you know I'm preaching to myself here. As someone who values um, efficiency, connectedness, I'm preaching to my own soul. But I just have a sense that there could be other people who are with me. Final point. A rule of life takes place, oh, takes practice and hard work, but you can expect growth and transformation. One of the observations I have when reading the Bible is that there are certain seasons and certain people who who light up at any possibility of going to the Lord in prayer. There's a great joy in reading the Bible, a great delight to pursue Christian community, a great desire to serve. And we love that and want that for us all. But I want to be honest as I can and say that our love and our joy and our blessing in God, it ain't coming easy. And part of that is because we're living, as you know, in a fallen world. Sin has 
uh, placed us and this world under a curse. And if you don't know that, enter into the Bible and see the realities of this world that we're in. See the reality that actually we are blinded by the evil one, deceived about what is real and what is good. Uh, The evil one is constantly trying to distract us and draw us away from God. And so you have to be asking yourself, well, what then is going to keep my faith alive? Well, it takes practice. It takes effort. And it takes hard work. It's true of everything in life. Anything meaningful. Anything deep. Anything rich. Anything rewarding takes practice, it takes effort, and it takes hard work. It's that great moment in Revelation when Jesus is talking to the churches. And one of the kind of shining light churches is the church in Ephesus. And they have this great reputation. This great reputation for... um, their knowledge, and uh, all of these kinds of things. And then um, Jesus rebukes them. And do you remember what he says to them? He says, uh, they have forsaken the love they had at first. Right? They know the Bible, they recite the creeds, but they have forsaken their first love. And I suspect that that is something that you and I can relate to. I suspect that there's been times in your life where you can see that God was there, but he wasn't here. Maybe you're in that season right now. You go into church, you're part of the family of God. But God, man, the the fire is not burning. The passion is not there. You remember what Jesus says to the church? Jesus says, repent and do the works you did at first. Repent and do the works you did at first. Isn't that interesting? Just as a husband and a wife need to confess their wrongs and move towards each other and do the things they once did in the beginning... So you and I who are in Jesus need to do the works you did at first. The intentionality of reading your Bible. The focus you had when it came to prayer. The commitment to come to church every week and pursue Christian community. The willingness to put up your hand and serve. These are the daily practices God has given us to Ignite the flame and to fuel our love. Does that come easy? No. It takes hard work. It takes discipline. But as someone once said, you can choose the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. I have so much admiration for City on a Hill. So much thanks to God to be part of this church. Got to spend a few days this week with... uh, the lead pastors from across all of our churches. We've got nine, almost 10 churches. And when I think of all the Lord has done in and through you, man, my heart just rejoices in praise to God. And I know, I know that um, journey like that never comes easy. 
And yet in you, I see a passion to serve. I see uh, a commitment to read the Bible. I see a willingness to give. I see a desire to pursue each other in community. I want you to know that I'm so thankful to God for that. And I'm here to say, keep going. Keep rejoicing. Keep trusting Jesus. And know that as you do such things, Jesus is alive and at work in our midst. The Bible says that Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And he is going to take our ordinary daily disciplines and use them to produce something good. You might be here today thinking that just that one little adjustment with your Bible study or that one little adjustment with your prayer isn't really going to mean anything. I want you to know that when you surrender your life to Jesus, when you take daily steps to put him first in the power of God, in the midst of his grace and the power of his Holy Spirit, you can see change and it's going to echo for all eternity. I'm going to give you a moment now to stand and stretch and then we're going to come back and uh, jump into a few questions. Hello, everyone. Um, we're going to jump into some questions. I heard there's a bunch of really good ones. Um, so good to be able to, to dive into them. Uh, so, Guy, thanks. Mm. Uh, thanks in advance <laughs> uh, for helping us with these That's questions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but first question, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in this process of building a rule of life? Yeah, excellent question. Uh, So if we think back to last week and the image of John 15, remember that great um, encouragement from Jesus that apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm. And so when Jesus, uh, you know, shares with his disciples that the comforter and the counselor is coming, there's great promise and hope that God's people aren't going to now be uh, following Jesus in their own strength. They're going to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Uh, And so um, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Uh, A central and ongoing role, uh, helping you. Um, Mm. You know, I always thought it was encouraging to know that um, when I read the Bible or when I pray, that's that's not just me reading the Bible and me praying. That's actually the Holy Spirit prompting me and at work in me to pray and to read the Bible, because that's the role of the Spirit. Uh, When I'm feeling convicted over sin, that's just not because I'm super spiritual or whatever it might be, or more moral than the next guy. Actually, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in Mm. you. So um, we'll look at some of these rhythms more in the coming weeks, Mm. um, but you want to have a constant awareness of God and keep him at the center, asking him to do what we can't do in our own strength. Good. Good one. Thank you. I will jump to the second question, which is, I'm struggling with sin and overcoming addiction. Hmm. Have I lost my salvation? Can I still do the rule of life? Hmm. Hmm. I love the honesty uh, in that question. Hmm. And uh, uh, brother, sister, just want you to know that um, the Christian journey is one of uh, struggle. Hmm. And... uh, I think, you know, even Paul talks about struggle and fight and and, and battle. Um, We don't want to submit to our sin. Uh, Sometimes we've got to struggle with our sin. Mm. Um, The gospel 
promises salvation to all who believe. And the gospel uh, is powerful to bring about lasting change in your life. Now, I don't know the particular addiction you're struggling with here. Um, and I don't know what you've sought to, um, you know, the help you've sought to find uh, and, and some of the steps that you, you have taken in that. Uh, but what I do know is that all, A, we should seek to overcome these things in Jesus. There is power in repenting of these things, bringing them to the foot of the cross, trusting in his forgiveness and allowing his grace to fuel us and to change us. Uh, and I know many testimonies of people who've overcome addictions in their life. And I also know many Christians who continue to struggle. Um, our salvation uh, is not uh, predicated on our perfection. It's all about Jesus mm. and what Jesus has done. Um, so can you have a rule of life? Yes, and you must. Mm. Can you be saved from your sin, past, present, and future? In Jesus, you can. God loves you and cares for you. He wants freedom for you. Mm. And for some of us, our sanctification will take us here. For others on this side of heaven, it might take us there. Uh, we are people of the new kingdom who pursue that kingdom and are following Jesus, but a hope in that glorious day where all things will be made new. And just the last yeah. little thing. Okay. Uh, if this is you, come and let's have a chat. Yeah. Really appreciate the chat. It could be me or it could be um, you know, someone else on staff here. Yep. We'd love to help. Absolutely. Yeah, we want to come alongside. Mm. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, we'll jump to the third question. The spiritual and physical disciplines I have in place do not seem to sharpen my focus on my relationship with God. Instead, they seem more like a chore. What should I do? Yeah, um, great question. Uh, I think this is where, uh, well, there's a few things that I probably touched on in my sermon that I found helpful, like the concept of creativity. Mm. Um, so, for example, uh, it, it could be um, that there are different ways to approach the reading of Scripture that might be more life-giving and more, right? Mm. Um, there could be a way of serving or whatever it might be. Um, uh, it also might be that you've only been doing this for a little bit of time. This is a long period of time. Again, we're in a culture of instant gratification. We expect everything to happen overnight. We expect everything to be like buzzing and all of this kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, a lot of what we're talking about, as I said, is going to feel you know, a little bit ordinary, a little bit kind of going through the rhythms, and that's, mm. uh, and that's okay. Um, I would just encourage you uh, to keep going. I'd encourage you to share that. Uh, again, it could be with me or someone else to kind of hear what other people are doing and what mm. they might be helpful. Um, I'd be praying about that. Mm. Say, Lord, I know that you, um, you desire for me to be um, alive in you, um, to taste and see that you are good. Mm. You know, I love the prayer. Um, Blessed is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. That's where I want to be. Uh, it doesn't mean I'm always there. Sometimes it can feel like a chore. Yeah. Uh, but kind of like what I was talking about last week, these ordinary things, even if they feel chore-like, make for a holistic, strong, uh, and Lord willing, a life-giving uh, relationship. Yeah. Can I add something? Mm. So that's something that I have found helpful is inviting people into it. Mm. So of like the praying and like chatting it through with someone and getting ideas, but also just having someone doing the same thing that you're doing 
is actually really life-giving. Mm. Yeah. Um, something that, J- that Jess and I have been trying to do this year is kind of keep one another accountable and reading the same thing. And some weeks it's like, oh, I'm very behind. <laughs> and it's just like, oh. And the other one's like, yeah, me too. Um, but it's helpful because then we can be like, but keep going. Yeah. Like I got to this point and I read this and it was really encouraging. And so I think there's, there's something to be said about doing so many of these disciplines in community. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's one person, maybe it's someone in your gospel community. Um, I have found that yeah. helpful it's great. when it becomes a bit whew, tough. Uh, final question. We'll jump to the last one. What is the difference between a Christian rule of life and just being a disciplined person? Love that question. Mm. Um, there are a lot of very disciplined people mm. uh, in life. Uh, I think I was probably quite an ordered person. Mm. Uh, my mum tells me that when I was nine, I had like a, um, a series of goals on the fridge and like <laughs> like to work through those things as a young kid and I wasn't yeah. a Christian. So I guess I was quite disciplined yeah. Uh, not everyone's like that. Um, I think the main difference, or a big difference here, is a disciplined person can be disciplined for all the wrong reasons. Mm. A worldly person can be disciplined because they want to be the fittest, strongest, smartest, most intelligent, most creative person there is. And you scroll TikTok today, probably shouldn't, but if you scroll TikTok today, that's what you're going to hear, right? Uh, a whole lot of what Mark Sayers called life maximization. You want to be the strongest, you want to start that company, you want to do this, you have to be disciplined, right? So that's worldly teaching, be disciplined, do this, mm. right? Um, the rule of life for Christians is what can I put in place to keep Jesus at the center? Yeah. One is, this one is ultimately about maximizing myself, uh, giving myself the most glory, making the most out of this world. It could be the most money, the most whatever, right? The biggest company it could be mm. this, right? To be the most popular. So I'm going to be disciplined towards that. I can't, you know, right? But it's all ultimately about me. This one, the Christian rule of life, mm. is all about Jesus. This is how do I get the most out of the world? This is one, how do I untether myself from the world and get the most out of God? Mm. So they're actually radically different. Uh, Are they disciplines? Does it require hard work and effort? Absolutely. But this one is about your own strength. This is about the strength that the Holy Spirit can provide. Good. Great. Great. Um, I'm... I think on that, I'm going to pray for us. I'm mm. going to invite the band up. We and stand? We'll, we'll stand and we'll sing with one another. Father, I pray that our heart's motivation would be to be moving towards you. Uh, that that would be how we can discipline ourselves, Lord, that that can shape our affections for you. Um, and Lord, as we've, we've gone through a few questions tonight, uh, this morning, that have touched on our lives and our day-to-day and so, Father, we, we ask for your help. We, ha- we ask for your help in the moments where it feels um, like where our focus isn't on you, even though we have the discipline. Lord, where, where we are struggling with sin, uh, Lord, may you break into that space. Um, Father, we, we want our lives to be lives that reflect you. Um, and to do that, we're going to really need your help. Yeah. So, Father, through your Holy Spirit, would you do a work in us as your children? Um, today, this morning, this week, Mm. um, so that we may be able to love you and follow you long-term. That's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.